0: Well, good evening. I'm glad that you're joining us this evening for a new sermon series on Sunday nights called Approachable. Uh, We want to use this series over the coming weeks to deal with pivotal questions in the life of Jesus questions he asked or questions that other people ask. I, I found this quote. We're in Matthew chapter 16. I decided I would start with the big one because if we don't answer this one, then we really won't know how to answer the other ones. Uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Haddon Robinson said, a minister may stand before a congregation and deliver exegetically accurate sermons, scholarly and organized, but dead and powerless because they ignore the life-wrenching questions and problems of his hearers. You see, if if I don't know who Jesus is, he asked the question, we're going to read it in a minute, if I don't know who Jesus is, then I don't know who I am. If I don't know who Jesus is, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond. If I think he's something other than what he really is, then I'm going to miss the point at some point. A number of years ago, we had a person uh, come to me and wanted us to start some Sunday school classes, we call those connect groups now, wanted us to start some Sunday school classes, uh, uh, teaching catechism and the early church fathers and the Nicene Creed and the anti-Nicene fathers, all these things that you study in seminary. And I listened, and the person said, "Well, what do you think? I said, what I think is nobody will come. He said, "Oh, there'll come people who are interested in." This. I said, "No, you, you don't understand." And and I said to him, I "said Here's the difference t- between being a pastor and being a member. As a pastor, you see your sheep, and you realize that your sheep are struggling with things, and they come to church hoping, praying, longing to find an answer to their questions." Can I make it? Will I survive? Will my health come back? Is my marriage going to survive? What am I going to do about my parents? How do I deal with a parent that has dementia or Alzheimer's? How do I deal with a prodigal child? How do I pay my bills? What do I do when this pandemic is over? People want answers to life issues. Now those things, studying those creeds and catechisms, are great for seminary. And I've studied them, some of you have studied them. They are interesting and they are fascinating. But that's not life in Albany, Georgia in 2020. Life in Albany, Georgia with the storms that we've been through and the crisis we've been through and being sheltered at (laughs) home— It's a little different world. We're, we're, we're not dealing with theories and philosophies. We're dealing with, does Christianity work in day-to-day life? Here's the good news about Jesus. You can take your questions to him. Here's the bad news. Sometimes he's going to ask you a question to see if you really understand who he is. You know, and you, you're going to have to answer some questions in this series. Do you really believe that Jesus can help? Do you believe that he's sufficient? Do you believe that he cares? Do you believe that he knows all the stuff that you're going through and that he cares about what you're going through? You see, Jesus did not come to create a Ph.D. class so that you could get a Ph.D. in religion. Jesus came so that whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you are, you can have a personal relationship with him as Lord and Savior, to know him as the Son of God. He, he did not enlist academic experts. If he had, He would have, all of his disciples would have been the scribes and the Pharisees. And then we just have a church full of a bunch of big-headed religion people, not people with warm hearts toward God. In fact, those who had all the answers... Wanted him crucified. So when you think about it, man is often guilty of answering the wrong questions or asking the wrong questions. Sometimes we waste time answering questions no one else is asking. If a tree falls in the forest, does anyone hear it? I don't care. Are the Klingons really a life form I don't care, I mean we can ask questions we were uh, I was having a, a conversation uh, earlier with Dan Mingo, and he's talking about these uh, we were talking about freshmen in college, especially religion students, freshmen in college, they have all the answers and and they they come and they try to inform their professors of all the things that they know and dan said i I used to go and sit down with with some of those people, and I would just ask some hypothetical, theoretical question until I could get them arguing among themselves, then I'd just leave. Some questions we give way too much information to. I mean, you know, we, we don't get to the point, we get all around the point. There are hundreds of questions in the New Testament. Many of them are asked of Jesus, many Jesus ask of others, but when ask a question, Jesus only answered a handful of those questions. So in this series, we're going to look at some pivotal questions in the gospel, either those that Jesus asked or those that were asked of Jesus. Not all of them, but some major ones. Who is he? Is he really God? Because the answer to this question determines his presence in your life. And actually determines how you answer this question. Determines whether you spend eternity in heaven or in hell. So let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that a son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah and one of the, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. (laughs) You know, we're always guilty of criticizing Simon Peter. I remember Warren Wiersbe said one time, be careful how you criticize Simon Peter because the running joke among preachers is, you know, Simon Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. He didn't hear. He made the defining statement about who Jesus is. You are the Christ the Son of the Living God. Let me speak for a moment of the context of this statement because the context of this statement makes this an even more powerful statement. Jesus has taken his disciples to the district of Caesarea Philippi. It is the farthest north that he will travel in his earthly ministry. It's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, it's 125 miles, about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, there was an underground stream of water there that flowed out of a cave, actually found its source somewhere from the mountains, and it flowed out of a cave. And it is known as Banyas, B-A-N-I-S, Banyas, or riverbed today. If you drive towards Caesarea Philippi, you'll see a sign somewhere. It says Banyas. There are a lot of archaeological ruins there, some that have been discovered and dug down deeply and others that you can just kind of see them off the side of the road. The original name, name of this place was Baal Gad or Baal Hermon. It was a Canaanite city of Baal worship. There was a temple there on top of the mountain of Caesarea Philippi and all these images of idols and ancient gods carved into the side of this mountain, but the temple was there to the Greek god of nature, Pan. It was a hotbed for pagan worship. And so just picture God's son going to the furthest city he ever traveled to, to Caesarea Philippi, and all around him are images of pagan gods, and in a place where there is no worship of Jehovah, he asked, who do you say that I am? In light of all these other gods around here, who do you think I am? You think I'm one among many? You think I'm not equal to them? You think I'm part God, what, what do you think about me? Who do you think I am? In fact, there's a cave there. Uh, an earthquake kind of sealed off that stream years ago. But there's a cave there called the gates of hell. You Remember, Jesus will say, you know, God's revealed this to you, and I'm going to build my church on this statement, not on Simon Peter. I'm going to build my church on this statement, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When when I'm in Israel teaching, I'm usually in a little area up from where that hole is, where that gate is. And I say, just picture Jesus pointing to that hole right there that was known as the gates of hell. And he's saying, the gates of hell, the devil, everything you're afraid of will not prevail against my church. That's why they could remember this story. They had a visual image of where he'd said it and what he had said. By the way, the pagans used to sacrifice their children at the gates of hell. And when they would throw their children in there, if there was blood, the sacrifice was not acceptable. No blood, the sacrifice was acceptable. I find that so incredibly interesting because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So they just reverse what the Bible said. So look at the first point in your notes. Right question, wrong answers. Remember, you can get these notes on the website. We got all kinds of answers to this question. And and who do you say that? Most of them are either dead wrong or partially right. Well, you're a great teacher. That's partially right. You're a prophet. Yeah, that's partially right. Uh, You're a moral leader. Yeah, partially right. You're a religious figure, partially right. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's posing a question to the disciples, and they gave him the opinions of the crowd. Well, Jesus, we kind of went out and took a little poll, took a little survey, got a finger on the pulse of the crowd, this is kind of what they're saying. Some of them think you're John the Baptist. 22% think you're John the Baptist. uh, 14% think you're Elijah. uh, 8% think you're Jeremiah. Or the rest of them think you're one of the other prophets. I love Clovis Chapel, who was a preacher in the early 20th century. He said, in answering the question, his disciples did not tell the whole story. They passed over the ugly criticisms they had heard. They said nothing about those who accused their master. Instead, they told him only the complimentary things that they had heard. In other words, all the answers were partially right, but totally wrong. We still have people that give the wrong answers today. They refuse to proclaim that Jesus is the only way. There are mainline denominations that will tell you there's more than one way to get to God. There are religious movements that will tell you that there is a co-redeemer with Jesus. He stands alone as the redeemer. There are people that will not definitively say because they're afraid they'll hurt somebody's feelings, Jesus is the only way to God. He's not one of many ways, he's the only way. And there are people even inside evangelical churches that are impressed with the words of Jesus and inspired by the works of Jesus. Oh man, they love it, man. Look at that church. Look at what that church is doing. You know, there are people probably talking about us, you know, maybe now, you know. I I heard Sherwood's been feeding people and and I heard people at Sherwood made masks. We're trying to serve our community. But if you ask them, do you believe what Sherwood Baptist Church believes, that Jesus, is the only way to heaven. They say, I don't know that I believe that. You see, they may be impressed with what we do, but they do not believe the one that calls us to do what we do, Jesus Christ. They've heard his teachings. They've been on the Mount of Beatitudes. They've seen his miracles. They've even experienced a few miracles themselves. I mean, Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Jesus has calmed the storm. But like many people, I believe the disciples, even at this late point, in some way liked the idea of Jesus, but they hadn't bought in fully into who Jesus was. I think they were, my opinion, I think they personally kind of said, you know, he's 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 like John the Baptist or he's like Elijah. They they didn't fully understand his nature. In fact, in Matthew 8 and verse 27, They ask the question, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. So think about it. These disciples have been following Jesus all this time. They've seen the miracles. They've heard his teaching. And they would admit, I've never heard anybody teach like Jesus. He teaches with authority. I've never seen anybody, not even John the Baptist could do what this guy can do. I've never seen anybody do this. And and remember that since the prophet Malachi, God had been totally silent for 400 years. And from the end of the Old Testament, the last words of Malachi to the first words of Matthew is 400 years of silence. And all of a sudden, God shows up in a virgin-born child. And he grows up sinless and he declares that he is the Son of God. It's the first time they've heard from God in 400 years. I mean, Peter's parents hadn't heard from God, all they had was the Old Testament 400 years of silence, generations of silence. And now Jesus shows up and says, Hey, what do you think? You think I'm it? Because, see, all during this time, there were people claiming to be Messiah. Even at the time of Jesus, there were other people claiming to be Messiah. But Jesus is the only one that fulfilled all the prophecies. These disciples have been with him long enough to know the right answer. But they're telling him what the crowd says. But this is what Jesus is doing. At this point in Matthew chapter 16, we are six months away From the crucifixion and Jesus at this point says you guys need to solidify your faith and if you read this in context after this confession Jesus immediately begins talking about his death why did he ask the question he was six months away from dying he was six months away from the cross And he needed them to make up their minds once and for all so that in these last six months and in that last night, John 14 through 17, he could pour into them as much as possible to prepare them for what was about to happen to them. So second statement, right question, right answer. Jesus is not having an identity crisis. He's taking the disciples to the point where he wants them to identify who he is so they can identify who they are. To face the pressures of the world, they needed to know Christ, not by opinion, but by conviction. They needed to be able to say, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. So Peter speaks up. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the anointed one. You're the one we've been looking for. You're the great I Am. Come in bodily form. Because when you study the life of Christ... You see that he fulfilled these prophecies in his birth, his death, his resurrection, in his ascension. Prophecies that were written hundreds of years before he was ever born. In the Old Testament, there are 300 distinct prophecies about Messiah that have been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus or will be fulfilled in his second coming. I love this statement from Dave Early. The name of his great-great-grandfather was predicted. The place of his birth was predicted. So was the visit of the wise men, the gifts the wise men brought, and Herod's attempt to kill him. I would say if one person fulfilled all of that, he's Messiah. And that's just four or five things. There was a written record, think about this, There was a written record of the life of Jesus from beginning to end before he was ever born. This was not a biography written years after he was born. There was a written record in the Old Testament, how he would suffer, how he would die, that he would be the one that would take away our sin. John Stott says, essentially, Christianity is Christ. The person and work of Christ are the rock upon which the Christian religion is built. If he is not who he said he was and did not do what he said he came to do, the foundation is undermined and the whole superstructure will collapse. You see, what the world thinks of Jesus falls short of who he is. Jesus, who knew he was? He wasn't seeking information. He wasn't seeking a popularity approval approach. He was seeking clarification. He wanted a statement of confession. And that statement of confession has been the confession of the church for 2,000 years. He's the Christ, He's the head of the church, He's our high priest, He's our Savior, He's our advocate, He's our intercessor. You're the son of the living God, the son of Jehovah. You are God in flesh. This was their confession before he died, after he died at Pentecost. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised him from the dead. And Peter calls him to repent and believe that he is the Messiah. And in that day, in a 10-minute message, 3,000 people believed. Third point, right question, what's your answer? Man has had 2,000 years to examine what God has said about his son, Jesus. I mean, you think about it. More has been written about Jesus than any other religious leader in the world. More songs have been written about him more books have been written about him. The Bible is still the best-selling book in the history of the world. When the printing press came into existence, one of the first things printed was a Bible. Why? Because he's who he says he is. He, he outpaces everybody. There is no competition. There is nobody in second trying to get into first place, and he may lose. He is the Son of God. Who do you say that I am? How we answer that determines our destiny. If you share Christ with somebody and they say, well, that's fine for you to believe that Jesus is the only way, but I don't believe that. Their destiny is a place called hell without Christ because what makes it hell is Christ is not there. What makes heaven heaven is that Christ is there. It wouldn't be heaven if Christ wasn't there. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to be with you in that place. That where I am, you might be also. Who's that for? Everybody? No. Listen, preachers have preached people into heaven that are nowhere close to heaven. You know, a good man, he did good things. He was he was a member of the Rotary Cub. He was a member of the Kiwanis. He 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 was a, a member of the elks. He was a moose. He was, I don't know why they're all animals, but he he you know he he did this. He did good things. He he gave blood to the Red Cross. That's not gonna get you into heaven. He was a member of a church. That's not gonna get you into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven is when you rightly answer the question, who do you say that I am? The scriptures reveal who he is. History reveals who he is. The testimony of people whose lives have been changed reveals who he is. I can tell you who he is because he changed my life. Religion didn't change my life. Being a Baptist didn't change my life. Being baptized in the Jordan River in 1972 didn't change my life. What changed my life is one night Christ came into my life, and I said, yes, you are, and he said, yes, I am, and we agreed that he was the only way that I could get to heaven, and I received him as my Lord and Savior. So this is the most important question we can answer. Jesus is approachable, but he wants an answer. So let me give you some Thoughts here. These are in the notes, and you can kind of get the key words if you want to, and go back and fill it in later. But think think this through. When Jesus affirms Peter's statement, number one, he affirmed the answer. He affirmed the answer. Jesus didn't say, man, I hate to tell, I hate to disappoint Peter. He is so confident of this. I, I hate to tell him that's not really who I am. He affirmed the answer. Secondly, he fulfilled the prophecies. He fulfilled the prophecies. There's not many people that have fulfilled these prophecies. There's only one. I mean, you don't have to go to a lineup in a jail and look at 27 religious leaders from Mohammed and Buddha and Hindu leaders and and Mormon leaders. You don't have to go and say, I wonder which one he is. Which one fulfilled the prophecies? There's only one, and that's Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus did what only God can do. He overruled nature. He fed thousands with a small takeout lunch. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. Fourthly, he accepted worship only God deserves. When the leper and the man born blind worshipped him, Jesus didn't say, oh, no, you know, hey, make sure you're worshipping Jehovah. Don't worship me. I, I'm, I'm just a preacher. I'm just a prophet. No, he accepted worship only God deserves. Fifthly, he made claims to be one with the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He had the power to forgive sin. Only the Father has the power to forgive sin. He had the power to give life, John chapter 5. He said, I and the Father are one. And that infuriated the religious leaders of the day. Because everything he claimed were things that only Jehovah could do. But he was Jehovah in flesh where we could see him and feel him and touch him. And then number six, Jesus said his teachings and his life were one. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was sinless perfection. He was righteousness incarnate. He was the spotless Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth before there was ever a garden in Eden. There was a cross on Calvary. God designed the plan for our redemption before man ever sinned. God knew we would sin. And He designed the way to get us to heaven through His Son by faith. By faith. Just believing that Jesus is who he said. So who is Jesus? If he is who he says he is, then he demands my life, my love, and my all. He, he He has a right to demand my time. He has a right to demand my money. He has a right to demand how I live and how I act and how I react because He died for me. He did something for me I can't do for myself. And one of the great books, if you're a skeptic or if you know a skeptic and they just don't believe this stuff about Jesus, then I would encourage you, it's a little book. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it used on a used book site. You can get it from Amazon. You can get it just about anywhere. It's a classic book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis was an apologist of his time like Ravi Zacharias has been an apologist of our time. This week, Ravi Zacharias, who I think was one of the greatest Christian apologists of my lifetime, maybe one of the greatest ones ever, nobody could stand before a college crowd of atheists and agnostics and cynics and skeptics. And in a Christ-like, calm, calm, logical, graceful way answer the questions that were thrown at him like atomic bombs. And Ravi went to be with the Lord, but before Ravi there was C.S. Lewis, who came to faith in Christ late in life, but was a phenomenal writer about life. Some of his writings are just incredible. You just, just read them over and over, but mere Christianity is where this quote is taken from and I'm sure those of you that are Christians have heard this a hundred times, but it bears repeating. In fact, in one of my Bibles, I have this whole quote written. It bears repeating, but if you're a skeptic, here's the question I'm going to ask you and the answer that you have to decide if what C.S. Lewis is saying is true or not. I'm trying here, to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Now, before you shut this down, we would like for you to make a next step, either to go back and say, you know, I've just listened to Jesus as a teacher. I've thought of Jesus as a good example, but he's the Christ and I need to live like he's the Christ. I need to live like he's my Lord. And maybe you just want to reach out to us and we can get some material to help you. We can pray with you. If you've got a prayer request and in a struggle or a doubt or a fear that you're having, we want to help you with that. But maybe you're watching and you need to share this with someone that you know, says they're an atheist or an agnostic and say, hey, I'll take you out and buy you a steak if you'll listen to this message because I believe it's important that you know who Jesus is. And so I want you to watch it until the end because I'm gonna ask you about the long quote that Michael used at the end. And I wanna see what you think about the statement of Simon Peter and about the statement of C.S. Lewis, and let's talk about it. Or you can reach out to us in Next Steps and say, you know, I've realized today for the first time that Jesus Christ died for my sin that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that if I don't believe in Him, I'm going to spend eternity in hell separated from God. And right now, you can go to that place across the bottom of the screen or just stay tuned for just a moment and you'll hear a little more explanation. But my prayer for you today is if you don't know Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation. May God bless you because I want to proclaim to you that He is, He is, not He was, He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And somewhere out there, all God's people said, Amen.